0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Way Out is In podcast. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems change.
1: And I am Brother Fap Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh in the Plum Village community.
0: The Way Out is In. Hello and welcome back. So we're recording all of our episodes from uh, the small hut of Thich Han, which is called Sitting Still Hut. So, um, so we feel very much as we record these sessions, Fat Pu, don't we, that that, um, that Zen Master Thich Han is very present.
1: He is and we definitely feel the energy. The energy of stillness, when we sit in this hut, it really invites us to just calm down and just to be aware of what is happening around us, who's in front of us, and also just to connect to ourselves.
0: Yeah, and we're sitting around uh, Tai's kitchen table, and uh, we're with our colleague Kata, who does all the recording and all the help. So Kata, thank you for always being here and being so wonderful. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about what's known as the Rain's Retreat, which is a three-month retreat that happens every year in Plum Village. And also, as part of that, um, all the monastics and all the lay practitioners are asked to focus on what we call an aspiration. What is their focus? What is that, over the three months of the retreat, that people would like to focus on and to Build their practice around. So, Brother Hu, you know all about the rains retreat. You've probably done probably twenty of them, um, or more. So, tell us a little bit. What What is the rains retreat?
1: The rains retreat is a beautiful tradition. It comes from the time of the Buddha and his original sangha, his uh, monks and nuns. And it um, began when his community started to grow and. The community at the early days of the Buddha's um, career, they didn't yet have big monasteries, but they would travel um, around villages to villages in order to spread the Dhamma. It's part of the aspiration of a monastic is to practice, to learn the Dhamma directly from the Buddha or directly from other senior monks and nuns but then continue to have a chance to be in touch with villagers. So they would go each day um, before noon to go for alms round to beg for food. And it's a very beautiful tradition. And in many countries such as um, Burma, Thailand, um, Laos, Cambodia, the monks in the Theravada tradition, they still keep this practice alive. And you would go to each house, no discrimination. And you would stand in front of the house and stand there for a few minutes in silence. And if the homeowner has some food to offer, they will come out. And they will offer their food in your alms bowl, which is a begging bowl. And after you have received it, you will spend some time to um, share the dharma or if they have the lay people have a question, they have a chance to ask, then the monks would have a chance to share their experience through the teachings of the Buddha. Or if somebody in the family has passed away or they feel like they need a blessing, they would ask the monks or the nuns to chant. So this kind of tradition was also a door, a passage, so that the monastic continues to keep a relationship with the world, with society, so that even though we devote ourselves to monastichood and to our practice of transformation for ourselves and our growth spiritually, but it's still very important to be connected to everyone in the world. And so each day the monastic would do this and they would travel from village to village and in the evening they would um, sleep in a forest under um, a trunk of a tree, or whatever conditions that is around. But um, when the community started to grow in larger number and they had to grow in bigger groups, especially during the rainy season, the downpour of the rain was heavy. It made traveling much more difficult and monks and nuns can get become um, easily ill because of the weather. And they also started to notice that when the rain started to really... Uh, fall down heavily all of the insect the frogs the fishes like everything from the from the paddies from the rice paddies they would manifest so then they realized by walking through these fields because back in the day they didn't have like all of these roads like we do today suddenly they realized they would be stepping on a lot of living beings so it was also a chance of the practice of compassion to not crush these living beings So the Buddha decided that for three months during the rainy season, the monastic community would all gather at a selected place. And later on, monasteries were developed and built thanks to the lay practitioners who became lay disciples of the Buddha and the community. They would help create um, these monasteries for the monks and the nuns. So they would all gather and spend Time together, and they wouldn't have to travel so far and so much, and they wouldn't have to destroy rice paddies or um, step on living beings um, just because of the conditions of nature. So that was the origin of the of the tradition, but. What it also allowed for the monastic and for the Buddha was a chance to deepen the practice. So the Buddha then had the chance to stay within within a boundary, a location for three whole months. That allowed the Buddha to offer many deep teachings, a continuous teaching. And it allowed younger monks to take refuge in more senior monastic to be trained and to be guided and just to be around the presence, to take in their their spiritual energy, their peace and their stillness. And this tradition has continued through um, all of the Buddhist um, monastic communities. And in Plum Village, we still maintain it. And it is a retreat that our teacher emphasizes a lot on deepening our practice and deepening our studies, as well as just to learn to be still. And originally it is um, in principle just for the monastic community, but our teacher has opened the rains Retreat from even before I came. It was all lay friends were always welcome. But in our community, our teacher would also have a chance to go deeper into his teachings and um, translating new sutra. I would have a chance to um, share them through his Dhamma talk. And we all have a chance to learn together with the teacher and the students.
0: Yeah. And um, so my wife and I have come for the last, before we moved next door to Plum Village, we, we came every for, for every year for 14 years during this time. And um, I think the reason we came was, was exactly what you're saying. It was... It's also like the season. It's sort of heading towards autumn, winter, and it's about when when nature starts to slow down. And it was always our experience that that it was lovely to come here during this quiet, reflective period, where where the energy, in a sense, was coming back to the centre. And 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 you know, seeing how busy the monastics are, as you say, you be, you go to retreats all over the world. And this is a chance, as you say, to deepen your practice. And and also interesting that it's a tradition that's been going for 2,600 years, but is still very, very relevant.
1: Exactly. And I, I, I also just wanted to share that um, this tradition is also alive in every um, um, practice centers and monasteries. And um, in in today's time... I think every, other, every monastery would have to adapt to what season is most um, adaptable for their community. And uh, in some um, countries, like Southeast Asia, I think their 3 months rains retreat is in the summer. And for us, we at one stage, it was in the winter, but then we moved it to the autumn. Yeah.
0: So um, at the opening ceremony, Brother Fapu, as as the abbot of... Uh, the upper hamlet monastery of the monks you sort of read out a sort of um a wish for the community and about you know what this rains retreat could be but also about your own personal aspiration and um as i was saying a bit earlier i think one of the wonderful things about the rains retreat is saying well if you've got three months rather than frittered away even if you're being contemplative, if if you don't have a sense of direction of where you want to do, where you want to go, then it the time can easily run run away. Even if you're going slowly without accomplishing much, but um, this idea of having an aspiration, a focus, saying actually what is it, what is most in my heart at the moment, where do I feel I most need to go, where can I deepen my practice, is there a chance to really deepen in a, in a particular direction. So I'm just wondering whether uh, you read out a, a, a sort of, your, in a sense, your message to the community. And I, it would be lovely, actually, if you could just read it out and then we can maybe discuss your own personal aspiration.
1: I would love to. But before that, I wanted to share about um, the ceremony on mm. the first day of the Rains retreat because this is how this message um, becomes alive. So... The image of the rains Retreat I like to see and I picture in my mind is like, we're all birds in this forest. And throughout the year, we've been um, flying to different countries to offer retreats or in our time of the pandemic, we've also been flying through the Internet, (laughs) through all of these um, online platforms, all of these um, interviews, as well as consultations in a way that's also a way of being out and offering. And in the pandemic we have been um, quite active and very positively active in order to bring the Dhamma to our friends who have the aspiration to find a spiritual dimension in their life. And the rains retreat is this, this opportunity, this calling, calling all the birds to come home and to return to the forest and reside and be still. And we have the first day, the opening day of the ceremony, uh, of the rain which we have this ceremony. It's very beautiful. We all come together. We all wear our yellow, orange um, sangati, which is a traditional robe that comes from the Buddha's time that we all are transmitted once we become a, mon- a monastic. And we, we gather and we sit together and there are drums, there are bells to welcome um, this the opening of the Rains Retreat, we do this incense offering. And then we have this practice of called taking refuge. And this is very important because this is the tradition from the Buddha's time also. So everyone in our community, we have um, mentors or mentees, someone we look after. And it's a chance to really also develop Sangha building, Sangha harmony. We want to live together in harmony. And to do that, we have to learn to be to, to be open to take refuge in one another. And this is a real practice. Uh, it's a practice for us who have been longer in the Sangha to open up and learn to be an elder brother, learn to be a refuge, learn to be open, learn to offer. And for young ones to learn to also be vulnerable, to open, to share their difficulty, for us to understand and to support. And so there is this aspect of taking refuge. So in this ceremony, we all would come together to express our intention to practice together in harmony. And because our community is so big, so we asked the represent uh, the representative of the Hamlets to, to have this opening speech to share um, the aspiration from their monastery. So I would represent the Brothers community. And before, um, before writing it down and before speaking it out on the day, I would take at least three or four days just contemplating it, just cooking it like, and just asking myself, what is it really that that has happened for us in, in the last year, uh, for the community and then for the world? And then what is it that we need? And what is it that we continue, that we want to aspire? So this is what uh, I wrote.
0: And brother, just before you read it out, um, just... One small fact that our listeners won't be aware of is that um, the color background of uh, The Way Out Is In, um, which you all see um, uh, illustrated, is actually the color of your Sangati robe. So we actually took a picture of your robe. So that yellow background to the branding of this uh, podcast series is your gown. That is correct.
1: <laughs> so, dear friends, uh, this is my aspiration. How fortunate we are to have the conditions to be together and practice for three full months. The rains retreat carries the spirit of being still, not running away, either from our suffering or chasing after an idea of happiness. It's an opportunity of returning home to oneself, to take refuge in our spiritual family, to enrich and deepen our Dhamma body with our mindfulness practice and to continue our teacher's legacy in our Sangha body. This is a beautiful tradition the Buddha has created for us to rest and heal. What is left is for us to continue to learn to open our hearts and our minds. The pandemic continues to be a challenge for many globally It asks us to continue to practice with impermanence, learning to adapt, to let go, and to accept reality. We know the Earth still needs a lot of care and healing. May our practice contribute to the well-being of our planet. This rains retreat, I really want to practice to slow down. I ask my brothers and sisters to support me so I don't lose myself. Please dear teacher, elder brothers and sisters, be a refuge for me and for the whole community.
0: Wow, well, thank you. Brother before you talk about your you talk about your aspiration of wanting to slow down so we'll come to that in a minute but But you talked about being still. And one of the things that I feel about sort of modern civilization is that we've completely lost our connection to the seasons. That, you know, when autumn comes and into winter, you know, nature knows when to be fulsome, when to come into its sort of, its true manifestation, and then to start letting go and the leaves to fall and then to be still in the winter and um, and to sort of in a sense for the energy to come to come back in so i'm um, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by stillness because it, it's like most people are living their lives as this there's no season that they're busy mm. every day of the year that there's no period where it's a chance to sort of just slow down and yet you have three months mm. have a three month period every year where where the purpose is to do
1: just that what well, talk about what it is to be still. I, I see in my practice, um, stillness is an ingredient uh, for peace. I, I I definitely see when peace can manifest is when there is stillness inside of me. And just like you have shared, like it's so easy to be busy nowadays and it's so easy to be stimulated um, through Um, the devices, through noise, through um, activities. And um, if we are not skillful, we will get caught in this cycle of busyness. And even for us monastic, because we are a part of the world, so all of this noise from outside also finds a way into the monastery. And the practice of stillness it also helps us to look deeply. The image that um, we have in one of our songs, Breathing In, Breathing Out, I am uh, blooming like a flower, solid as a mountain, fresh as a dew, and water reflecting, right? So this it, it gives this image of a lake. When the lake becomes still, it has a chance to be a mirror for for it to reflect reality, what is happening in the here and now, for it to really manifest. And we see that there's a lot that we want to manage and to take care of inside of ourselves, especially if we want to start to understand ourselves more. We also have to allow ourselves to be still more in order to really see what manifests is for us. Because when we are still, our internal aspirations and voices and perceptions has a chance to really review itself, and we have clarity to look at it with an eye of a practitioner, of someone who looks at it as an observer to take care of it. Um, if we are always busy, and I've been busy through the year, and I there's always like, oh yeah, I need to do that. But it becomes a procrastination it becomes a dream it becomes a wish and then you're going to keep holding it off because you're never still or you never really allow yourself to to really do it so this stillness that we cultivate is not only for our aspiration or our internal stories and our internal reflection but stillness is also very important in today where we need rest we need healing we are so busy we are not aware of our body we're not aware of our posture we're not aware where there is stiffness where there's stress so learning to be still is an art to heal and this is very important this is one of um also the core teachings in the plumbivist tradition where we have total relaxation
0: and also um Thich Nhat Hanh has it. one of his calligraphy he says stop rest and heal and he gives the example of an animal which is injured, that it goes and finds a quiet spot maybe in the forest or wherever its habitat is where it feels safe, and it just stops. Mm. And it allows the natural processes of life to show up. And, and, and sometimes I think in modern Western society we don't trust in natural processes, we, we always think we need to intervene in some way, but actually sometimes just the art of stopping, resting, creates the healing. And, and it's funny, brothers, you were talking, just a very small example came to my mind, which was when I was at The Guardian, I was very, very busy. And I, all the time, and I remember I went to a meeting and I was supposed to go back to the office to collect my computer, my phone, to take my long train journey home. And, and that evening I, the meeting went on late and I went straight home. So I was sitting on the train, no computer, no phone, no book, no bag, just me. Hmm. And I had one of the best creative ideas I had in years which manifested into a whole new section of The Guardian at that time. And if I'd had my phone, if I'd had my computer, if I'd had a book, I would have filled that time. But because I couldn't fill it with anything, I just had to stop. And actually what I realized in that moment is that when we stop, we allow more than just our mind to, take place it's like it's like you know some people call it grace some people call it well I mean there are all sorts of names but it's that sense of you know when for instance some great inventions happen in more than one place at the same time it's almost as though there's always stuff in the energetic field that we can almost reach our hand into but if we are constantly busy we don't allow for that sort of
1: channel of grace that openness to life to actually show up Exactly. And stopping is actually one of the wings of meditation. So, actually, to practice meditation, we have to have the ability to stop and to rest. And Tai, our teacher, is very modern. So, he, at one, at, at during um, one of our Rains retreat, um, he shared with us that. Already in the spirit of the range retreat, we have a boundary that we stay within for three months. And we only go out of our boundaries only when we need to. For example, um, the, our shoppers of the of the community, we have to go shopping or we have to go fix our car. And it's a very direct purpose. And we don't go and we we let our mind um, and our habits take over. Like you're driving and then you see a boulangerie. You're like, oh, let's stop and get a croissant or a baguette. No, that's not the spirit. So in the rains Retreat, when you ask permission to leave the boundaries, you go directly to the the task and you have to come back right away. That's also a spirit of it. And that's also... Dear friends, you just listened to some nuts falling from our trees. We're just uh, closing the door. And so there is this, um, these um, rules that we set up in the monastery to help everyone to be still. But then one year, Tai said, also, we don't allow ourselves to go out with our minds too much, meaning spending too much time on the computer, on the internet, or listening to news or listening to music. So. All of these other um, forms that we can allow ourselves to escape from the present moment is still present, and we there is a commitment. There's a real commitment that we have to make, or else our habits will take over. So, brother, I have an admission to make because our
0: house is about a hundred meters outside the boundary, and um, and you know normally on occasion. The monastics, or some monastics, will come and visit us for, you know, a nice cappuccino or latte or pancakes or whatever. And um, so I, w- so I was thinking that, um, given we're just outside the boundary, that when the wind is blowing in a particular way, I will, I will make lots of fresh coffee, and the smell of it will cross float across the boundary and I can see if I can if I can sort of get some of the monastics to sort of cross the line Sure, so, and um, I'll,
1: and I'll have binoculars <laughs> and I'll just be looking through to see which brown robes and bald head are crawling to your house or we
0: could or we could or I could photograph them and then send you the photos we could we could, <laughs> we could, we could it's like in Buddhism there's this whole concept of manas isn't it which is a bit like the ego it's like the part of us that is um the sort of part of us that will do bad things, right? So maybe I could entice the monastics, whoever see okay. who crosses the line, and then so you can test them, re- yeah, and then report, <laughs> test them in a hundred different ways, and then send the send the uh, photos to you. <laughs> but let's not discuss it on the podcast. Because no, no, we don't want people to know about it, <laughs> brother. Um, aspirations. Mm. So um, maybe uh, we should share our aspirations. Mm. So uh, why don't you go first? So you talked um, in your letter about the need to slow down. What is that all about for you?
1: Mm. I see for myself that I have started to um, bypass a lot of the basic practice because I feel like I've been a monk for 20 years now I'm the abbot of the community I have quote unquote important things to take care of and and the the community loves me so much like I and I'm so blessed like I really feel this love and this respect and and I am also so in love with the community and a lot of the times I feel like, there are sometimes I'm doing things and I could do much more mindfully, but nobody says it because people are like, oh, he's he's so busy. And within the last three years, like almost every interaction I've had with like my, my monastic siblings or even lay people, like friends that come along, the first question they would always ask me is like, brother, are you busy? Or they would share They're concerned, like, oh, I don't want to bother you because I know you have so much to do. And I started to have this, I started to recognize this reputation I had, which is like, I'm so busy. And I'm, and I, I asked myself, like, am I that busy? And am I really giving up this energy that I'm not present enough for people? I'm always present for meetings. I'm always present for tasks. I'm always present when it's a role that I need to um, to offer. I, I feel that. But then, am I not present for just being, just being a monk, just being a brother, being a friend? So one day in Upper Hamlet, I was just walking from my office to my room, which is, I don't know how far it is, but... Uh, It's it's a good distance, and the spirit in our monasteries. Whatever we walk, whenever we walk, we walk in the spirit of walking meditation. Walk just to walk, and do it with ease. And I started to recognize I didn't enjoy walking as much. I am always trying to get to the destination in order to rest, or in order to do or in order to practice. So I started to see this habit or this voice inside of me. It's just saying, just do. you." There's things for you to do. Today, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And I just started to realize I'm becoming a victim <laughs> of my own ambition in a way. And, and I'm also... Um, allowing myself to, to not enjoy the present moment. And that's when I was like, especially because we had this podcast with, um, with one of our sister and just listening to her share about her practice and her way of being just so inspired me to slow down. And that's when I realized like, I need to slow down so that I don't lose my aspiration. Because my deepest aspiration is to live out my life as a true continuation of the Buddha and of the, our teacher Tai, as well as to be a real monk.
0: And in, in your letter that you read out, you talked about asking the community of monks and nuns to support you. Can you just? I, th- I think that's really fascinating because it's sometimes so difficult. We can have an aspiration on our own, but it's sometimes very, it's like a New Year's resolution in a sense. It's like we can come up with something, but if we're on our own, it it's actually can be very hard to keep to it. But you very specifically said, I need the support of you, my community.
1: Tell me a bit about how that works in your mind. Mm. Um, for me, when I can vocalize it, it also has a very big impact on my actions. Like, yeah, we all can just make aspirations and keep it internally. And then we don't do it. And then we're like, okay, next year. (laughs) Because no one knows. But the moment when you have the courage to speak it up, to share about it and to voice it, it also has your seal in it. And then in our tradition, which is um, taking refuge in each other, there's a part where we also want to allow others to help us. And for myself, especially as an elder brother, for many in the community, um, sometimes if you don't ask, then the young ones will say, oh, you know, he's solid enough. He he can take care of it. He can handle it. But sometimes, no, we need that support because we are also vulnerable at some stages, or sometimes we even lose ourselves in our habits, in our, um, energies of frustration and, and, and whatnot. So for me to say, please help is also just to open that door to allow people. And I honestly don't know what kind of support I will get, but I believe because I have shared those words, let's say if somebody sees me rushing, but because I have said, please support me, somebody might just say, brother, slow down. And that would change. That will help me change my way of walking in that very moment. And um,
0: for those who may not listen to every episode, you were also the attendant, personal attendant, to for 17 years. Did Tai need help from the Sangha for his practice?
1: Of course, Tai always um, took refuge in the sangha. in In the past, at the beginning of the rains retreat, um, Tai would also share that he is taking refuge in the community so that he can continue to nourish his own practice as well as his own. Um, way of serving because he knows he cannot do it alone he needs the community to support him and i believe that's where he had the most um strength that was offered to him was by being with the community
0: right and um brother i mean some people might be listening and saying well, you know, Brother Fatpu, you've been in the practice twenty years, and you're telling us you forgot. You have to re- be reminded of the basic practices, and they might say, "Well, you know, what's all this Buddhism about? You know, is it not working?" And and one of the things my experience is that, you know, we're so habituated in our monkey mind that actually we always have to be reminded of this. this is not a this is not a destination where where one one day in next year you will be fully realized and you will never again have to be reminded of the practice and i remember asking um, sister gina um, many years ago who's one of the one of thai's longest serving western monastics I said, Sister Gina, don't you get bored with Thich Nhat Hanh repeating the same sort of advice or teachings every time? I mean, you've heard it probably thousands of times, you know, do you get bored? Doesn't he get bored? And she said, are you practicing? In other words, you know, we can be told things a thousand times. But actually, are we truly practicing? And also, we constantly have to be reminded because we, we're we like an elastic band. If you sort of, you stretch it, the, the tension of it wants to pull back to its original form, which is to, for our minds to go in a thousand directions. So tell us a little bit about that sense of, you know, after 20 years, you're still <laughs> having to remind yourself. Is that failure? Is it success? Is it just the way life is?
1: That's being a human. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, we are, we are always changing and, and because we're also always adapting. So we also need to, need to strengthen our own practice. And I, I just, I just look at the Buddha himself and I ask myself after enlightenment, why didn't the Buddha just stop? Like, but, through the stories and through the history and and through the sutras that we read, we see that even the Buddha through his time after enlightenment, he continued to keep his practice alive because the practice is a living, it's a living energy that you have to maintain. It's, it's, um, it's, we, 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 we speak a lot about mindfulness, right? and we say mindfulness is in each and every one of us and it depends how we nourish that energy of mindfulness for us to have it available or not
0: and, and neuroscience shows us that if we don't say don't if you don't use it you lose it exactly. so actually the the science is also showing that actually it's not like you learn it once and then job done we have to constantly remind ourselves work with it practice it build it and also I, I'm wondering, brother, whether for
1: you the practice changes. It does. So, one thing I always tell my younger brothers, um, when I have a chance to mentor them, is like, don't take this basic practice for granted, because my I've listened, I've had the chance to listen to I don't know hundreds and hundreds of dharma talks by Thai. and I also don't get bored because. When it comes down to the theory, I think I can share about it. But then when it comes to the practice, this is where I see the difference. So on the first day of my arrival in Plum Village, I hated sitting meditation. It was painful. It was dreadful. It was was suffering, like just learning to sit still and do nothing. Wow, that was crazy. That's a crazy idea. But now... Having that chance to sit and do nothing that is such a gift, and knowing to enjoy silence, knowing to enjoy the breathing, connecting to the breath, seeing your mind, what is manifesting, and then how to guide the mind before at the um, when I just started i I needed a lot of mental reminders internally i would I would even um Say, oh, I recognize stiffness in my back. I need to relax it. I recognize my thought running to the past, running to the future. I see myself being carried away by this quote-unquote perception and just identifying. And you have to put a lot of energy and emphasis in recognizing it because you're not used to it. But now I can just sit there and when a thought come up, instead of putting so much energy, my I can say my mindfulness kicks in and says, ah, you are starting to go in this direction. Refocus, re it. And your ease in the practice starts to manifest also. And there's also something, brother, about
0: stopping is having to face ourselves. So I see a lot of young people who there's a moment something's not happening, they see it as boredom and uh, and immediately looking to fill that time. But actually when we stop is the only time we're able to face ourselves. And, and it's funny because we, my wife and I moved here about 15 months ago now, and we were asking ourselves after a year, you know, are, are we truly happy here? And, you know, and in some ways we, we have all the conditions. We have a nice home. We're next to the community we love. We're able to, we've been able to practice through the pandemic with, uh, with the monastics, et cetera, et cetera. But there, but there was something in both in the back of our minds that wasn't fully happy. And I, I was sort of ruminating on this. And then one morning I sort of got it. So the reason we're not happy is because, you know, we've moved from New York, center of New York, busy job, busy life, full of exciting baubles and exciting life. And my wife's an artist and exhibiting and all all those sort of things. And suddenly we've had to stop. We're in the middle of nowhere in a house with a small village, sort of 10 minutes drive away, stuck, quote unquote, in this house. And so the reason I was not feeling completely happy was actually not because I wasn't completely happy, but I was creating the conditions to feel where I wasn't completely happy and actually have to face more of myself.
1: And Joe, what, what is your aspiration for these three months?
0: Oh, well, brother, um, so I was sitting in the opening ceremony and I suddenly thought, oh, I forgot to think about my aspiration. <laughs> so actually it came to me there and then in a very sort of powerful visualization and um the best way to explain it let let me have a go so um when I when I was young sort of young early teenager young childhood early teens I sort of had no sense of why I was alive I really felt that I I couldn't work out I felt I was worthless that I had nothing to offer that I life was really confusing to me, and I couldn't really make sense of anything. And um, and my experience of that was, I felt I was sitting at the edge of the of an ocean of sadness. And um, and I felt all that sadness was mine. I felt I was sitting at the edge of my ocean of sadness, and um, and it was mine alone. And then, sort of later in life, you know, this must be about. Ooh, uh, 25 years ago I, I was seeing a, um, a therapist stroke coach and um, I went on this sort of he took me on this guided visualization which he didn't he just created a space in which I went on a journey and I remember I was um, at the edge of the abyss and I was clinging to the edge I didn't want to fall because for me the abyss was my annihilation and he suggested I just let go And I let go and I fell and fell and fell and um, expecting to sort of hit the ground and just splatter. And that was the end of me. Um, And instead, I sort of landed on my feet in this sort of underground sort of uh, walkway. And I followed this walkway and it opened up into a cavern. And to my left, there was a, a pool of water completely still. And on the other side of the pool was a little... Bassinet with a baby in it, and um, and I walked to the bassinet and lifted up the child, and realized that the child was myself, and um, and I recognized in that moment that the child represented my innocence, and that I held the child close to me, and all of a sudden the sort of the the darkness almost just it almost I was transported up to the surface of the earth again, and it was this sort of bucolic sort of beautiful spring day with children running around and butterflies and birds singing. And, and it was like a great healing moment. Um, and then in the opening ceremony, I, I experienced myself back in that place, in that underground cavern, because what I've been feeling while I've been in Plum Village is a sense, this wish to go deeper, and I, and I haven't known what that means I, I keep on saying I need to go deeper what should I do but, but it hasn't nothing has really sort of resonated with me um and I've sort of just had that as a as a open question to myself what is it what does it mean to go deeper and and part of that is because you know I'm sure a lot of the monastics feel like that when when you meet people and, and want to support them often what you learn through the practice comes across as wisdom. And um, and so you you support someone and they say, oh my God, that's amazing, thank you so much. You know, that's such great pearl of wisdom. I'll, I'll really contemplate on that. And and in a sense, it's very easy to mistake, mistake it as me being at my edge. Oh, look how wise I am, I'm supporting that person. But also realizing that actually the truth is that I'm in my comfort zone. That to me, while... A person who's never come across this work may think, oh, wow. But to me, I'm just sharing what I already know. And, and it's easy to get stuck in that place. And so as I was sitting in the meditation hall, I thought, I, what is it to go deeper? And I've, as I said, I felt myself back in that same place in that underground cavern. And I saw there was um, there was a hole going down with the with sort of rungs, metal rungs, almost like sort of going down from the street into a sewer, and so I started climbing down the rungs of the ladder, and went down, and then found myself sort of waist deep in a in a black river. And um, and I fo- actually river is a is a generous term. It was a, uh, a it was a, maybe a stream or a brook, but it was quite quite strong water, but not not a huge river. But it was it was there, and I followed it, and um, and it came out. To an ocean and i sat on the beach and i realized it was the ocean of sadness but it wasn't my sadness it was everyone's sadness and um and for me it was realizing what what as i sat on the beach and i was listening to all the cries for help that actually i could be there for the people who were crying for help and I, I, I could sit there on the beach and, and it wasn't that I was uncaring because I felt the pain but I didn't feel I was being dragged into the ocean and it was a sort of realisation of my journey that, that over many, many years I've helped to sort of transform my own ocean of sadness and I also mistook it as all mine whereas actually I think that ocean of sadness is a collective ocean. And so I suppose my aspiration—what is my aspiration for that? My, my aspiration is to go deeper into my own transformation in order to be there for other people. Mm. You know, it's—it's it's very hard. There was um, there's a, a film called The Green Mile, and it's starring Tom Hanks, and it's got this character who's on death row. He's falsely accused of killing two girls, and at some point, I can't remember exactly. He said, you know, he—he's about to be executed and and the prison wardens want to save him and and he says i don't want to be saved because it feels like they're shards of glass going into my head it feels like you know i feel all the pain in the world and i realized sort of as a child i sort of mistook the collective pain for my pain and um and so it's about how do i feel all that pain but not be consumed by it and be Mm. be able to go into you know what some people might say is hell, mm. and and be just be there for people. And I and I, in that sense, I think it's very much like Plum Village. Mm. You know, is sometimes you don't have to do a lot; you just have to be there. And, and Plum Village, as a community, as a light in the world, isn't always about you doing something particular. It's about you holding an energy that is important in the world.
1: Yes. And we also we have to also nourish our joy and nourish our well-being and uh, in order to be present. And and that's also this is a wonderful opportunity for you too Joe to also rest and heal and also allow yourself to just be and not always give because that is also um, a habit if if we're on. If we're unmindful, we, we can also be, be dragged under the impression that we always have to give because there's also a hook, which is the praise as well as the the gratitude. And that can also make ourselves um, being lost. And that's why I also added that line for myself is because I, I want to slow down and to learn to be and learn to um, be be myself and go deeper because I don't want to lose myself. Because projects are beautiful projects, and and um, um, giving is such a reward in it. But I this is I speak for myself, which is like sometimes I do see there is a hook, which is like oh you know you start to see people. Um, have giving having you giving you respect and giving yeah. you all of this admiration and that in itself can also make you lose yourself. So.
0: Yeah. And can I also, you know there's that phrase that the the most troubled children mm. are are the children of therapists because it, and and the phrase is almost based <laughs> on the idea the idea that you know if if we constantly focus on helping others mm it's often just as much an avoidance of dealing with our own problems because we think oh well we're helping this person to deal with their problem and we're helping that person and therefore I must be okay rather Mm -hmm. than actually recognizing that actually it's a collective energy which is if it's your problem and I'm sitting here with you hearing your problem then at some level that is also my problem Mm -hmm. and I think that that resonates with you know the buddhist teachings on store consciousness that in each of us are all the seeds of joy happiness anger resentment jealousy and actually so when we when we want to support someone else actually hearing their story is also by its nature going to touch something in ourselves
1: and we also have this other really cool tradition before we start our reigns retreat is we have room changing Ah, yes so this is um This is also a Plum Village special trademark, I would say, um, because we all share rooms um, in our residence. And once a year, we have an opportunity to have a new roommate or a few new roommates as well as change location. And it's a very um, joyful event. And almost sometimes also, like, everybody has a little bit of... um, curiosity or even some anxieties like who's going to be my roommate this year but um, we, we always um, conduct the meeting in such a um, joyful way in and for everyone to have a chance to share their needs as well but be, one after we sh- um, we have selected our new roommates then we decide we have a room changing day and it's a whole day and this particular day is a real day of letting go because in principle a monastic, we are supposed to be very simple. We are supposed to not have too much possession. In the beautiful scripture, it says a monk in his possession is only his begging bow and his three robes. But we joke around now, my begging bow, my three robes, my laptop, my three luggages, and so on and so on and so on. And so once a year, it's also this practice of learning to see what we have. In our possession, and is it really necessary? And and it's so joyful. So we have this um, this courtyard in the in the middle of our residence, and every retreat. Um, before the rains retreat, we do this room changing and everybody gets to go through the stuff and see what is useful and what is still in very good condition, but I don't need it now. And it might be in somebody else's interest. And we would put it in a space where everybody can go shopping, but it's free. It's like this yard sale for free, but within just the brother's um, community. And I, I, I bought a tea tray in 2005 And I'm so happy that it is now still alive and still being used, not by me, but by someone else in the community. And is there anything you picked up in the yard sale, brother? Um, This year, two coat hangers. (laughs) (laughs) A a big shopping day. It, It is. And you just realize, actually, you don't need to buy so much. Sometimes it's already there and you just need a condition for it to manifest because everybody goes through this stuff and I'm like, huh, I've been having this umbrella for th- like three years. I don't even use it. I put
0: it out and voila. So brother, as I, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, we're, we're sitting in Thich Nhat Hanh's very modest wooden hut. Um, I'm looking through his door now and the, it's virtually empty. I mean, he's, he's got um, a robe hanging and an old jacket. Um, Did Tai do this as well? Yes. uh, Tell us about Tai's
1: relationship
0: to stuff.
1: So Tai was um, very selective in his um, possession. And I think it's not because he's picky, but it's just because when you have enough, you don't need more. So if somebody offers you something, you're like, I actually don't need it. And But of course, as a teacher um, and a lot of, a lot of students, a lot of followers, we we always want to express our love and express our our gratitude. So, someone um, would always want to give a gift to Tai, and Tai always accepts it. And Tai shares it to the community. It's very beautiful. Um, tai would also not do this like annually, once a year, room change, because Tai doesn't do that. <laughs> if he has a hut, and he's already very simple, and he does. Um, uh, he offers a lot already, so we don't need to uh, ask Tai to do this. But from time to time, Tai would um, gather some of his jackets or his robes or his sweaters. And Tai would send it to the brothers. And Tai would say, uh, these are some of my um, my clothes that Tai doesn't use anymore. If anybody with uh, has a need, please feel free to take it. And of course, everyone took one because as a souvenir, even if they don't um, wear it, but it's a souvenir. And there was a, a time, and I now regret it. I, and I, I, I actually, I've never shared this story. So Tai also has a few jackets and they're very simple and they're, very, they're all brown. I would call them shabby. Actually. And shabby, <laughs> exactly. And shabby, like he had a few jean brown jackets. And now I think it's very cool. But back then, like one time, Tai also said, Papu, do you want one of my jackets? And I was very young, and I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, this is not fashionable. And I said, no. <laughs> 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 but now I regret it. And now, now I, I, yeah, I don't have it, which is totally fine. But I, I did realize that. Um, if only at that time I let go of the notion of fashion and just say, "Oh, this was a gift from your teacher." Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so just talk about jackets for one moment, brother. Is this? It's the story I was told. Is it true? Which is that every year for fourteen years, during the sort of rainstroke winter retreat, I saw Ty always in the same jacket. I don't think he ever changed it. And and what I was told was that when he would go. To important events like whether it was the Congress in America or the House of Parliament or the Indian Congress, you know, he he often met very senior people. That that occasionally some of the monastics would offer him a new jacket to smarten him up a bit, and that every time
1: he refused. Is that true? That is true. I I can wit. I witnessed that. So it is true. And what did
0: Tai say? Was he annoyed that you? that people were trying to foist these nice jackets on him or
1: um I think I'm just trying to recollect my memories, but not annoyed, but just kind of like sharing that Thai doesn't need it. And I, I, I think the one giving is more annoying. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and um it's it's because it's something it's a practice of Thai, which is like Thai has something that it already works. It, it fits Tai. It's, it's his style. And voila, that's it. Why do I have to keep searching for more when I have it already? And that is a practice in itself. And we're always running after something. And part of our practice is like, Tai has a calligraphy and he says, you have enough. I remember that calligraphy because I have to remind myself that sometimes like you see things, um, on home visit, you you go to a mall you and you've been in the monastery for so long. Suddenly you're exposed to this world of fashion and you're just like looking and your, your desire comes up. But suddenly you realize that, but that's not the real happiness. So I, I really see like Tai walks his talk. Yeah. And that's what really impresses me.
0: So it's interesting you mentioned that, brother, because this morning I was going through my Instagram feed. Mm. And there were two photographs. One, the first photograph I had was of the Burning Man Festival, which is a big sort of festival in the, I think, in the Nevada desert, which I've always wanted to go to. It look It's a crazy sort of festival and and it was a picture of two very beautiful women in um in these sort of uh, bikinis but but with sort of metal plate bikinis looking very glamorous and, and it looked wow saying so, oh, <laughs> uh, that's rather nice and then uh, and i have to say my wife is looking at me she's here sitting in the room and looking at me i'm, I'm we're going to have to have a chat later i guess and um, and then straight underneath was a picture of one of the Vietnamese brothers, Brother Minh He, sitting in meditation, and it was a it was a post from the um, Hanh Foundation, and it was such a jolt for me, because one the f- and these were literally one after the other. The picture of Burning Man was these women being glamorous about it's the excitement and all that, and then on the surface, I then went to the picture of Brother Minh He, and I thought. Oh, that looks so boring. He's just, <laughs> he's just sitting there in meditation <laughs> wearing a, a robe it. With, with his hat on. And, and it was a really jarring image for me because, mm. it, because I wasn't expecting it. And I, I noticed my response and I sort of sat with it for a few minutes. And, and I realised that on the outside, the Burning Man Festival looked very exciting. All, all the things that you can imagine on the outside – but brother minhee who i know is and is a, is a wonderful example of a monastic deep in the practice deep in in compassion and love sitting there has all that on the inside and it it, it was just such a powerful notion of how my mind grasped onto the burning man because i've always wanted to go to it and then released it when i realized actually that that wasn't where the answer is that the answer is inside so it was very very powerful um and also brother i have to share about um letting go of stuff because Mm. um when we left new york uh, a year and a half ago whenever it was um we got stuck in lockdown in mexico for for four months and we had two suitcases in two small bags and so for four months that's all we had and we were so happy you know, we just washed our clothes every day if we needed to. We didn't have anything to worry about. And then we arrived in France, and three months later, sort of a whole shipment of goods arrived from New York. Sort of, you know, 298 boxes. You know, 150 of those were my wife's uh, supplies and all her all the, the stuff we collected. There were our clothes, there was a sofa, there was a... And we just looked at each other Oh my god what are we going to do with all this you know we don't need it mm. we were very happy without it and and also it's true that we were very happy to receive it at, at one level because mm. it was a lot of stuff that we have a connection to we bought it here we did this but but it but it was just a reminder you know there was part of us that that thought if the if the ship sinks in the transport and we lose everything actually it really really doesn't matter it'll be but okay it would be fine and um and in a sense we we were hoping it would sink (laughs) just that we don't have to worry and also also sometimes we're we're forced to let go of things Mm. so my wife when when we used to live in Brighton uh, there was a telecommunications box outside of our house and um and occasionally I would go to work and at the end of the day I would come home and I would see a couple of articles of clothing on just on the telecommunications box and and I'd think, oh, what are those? And I'd take a closer look. And I thought, those are mine. <laughs> and then I'd go and say, Paz, what have you done with my clothes? She said, she said, is that all that's left? Just two articles. And so, <laughs> so I was forced. She, she helped me to let go.
1: Yes. By putting the stuff that. out
0: while I wasn't there, because otherwise you would never have let it go. So um, sometimes we need help. Exactly. Anyway, brother, um, thank you again for sharing um we should uh keep in touch with our aspirations i will um i will write a note to all the monastics to make sure that they support you <laughs> in that but um it's really important for all of us to have a sense of where are the changes we most, want most important to make and and to have that focus and clarity and commitment so thank you everyone dear listeners we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the way out is in um, you can catch all the other episodes on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on other platforms that carry
1: podcasts and also on the Plum Village app. And this podcast was brought to you by the generous donors of the Thich Nican Foundation. If you would like to support future episodes of the podcast and the work of the international Plum Village community, please visit www.tnhf.org slash donate.
0: Great. Brother Fat Poo. in the now old ancient tradition of the last few months, um, you offer us a guided meditation at the end of each episode. So please um, bring us back to our center.
1: So dear friends, wherever we are, allow ourselves to be still if we can, either standing, lying down, or just seated on our chairs, our sofa. Let us bring our awareness to our breathing. As I breathe in, I am in touch with my in-breath. As I breathe out, I am in touch with my out-breath. In-breath, out-breath. Identify the breathing. It is already happening. Just allow ourselves to be aware of the breath. As I breathe in, I feel my abdomen rising. As I breathe out, I feel my abdomen falling, my abdomen rising, my abdomen falling. With each breath, I can breathe a little bit deeper. And as I breathe out, I can allow the breath to be a little bit slower. Deep and slow. Breathing in, I recognize freshness in my life. Inside of me, my smile. I feel so fresh like a flower. All of us humans are flowers in the garden of humanity. As I breathe out, I enjoy this freshness. There is life inside of me. There is life all around me. Breathing in. I recognize my stability. Breathing out. I feel solid like a mountain. Stability here is stability to be in the here and the now. I am not being pulled away by my emotions, my feelings, or thoughts of the past or worries of the future. I allow myself to be still. Solid. In. Solidity. Out. Like a mountain. Breathing in. There is calm. Stillness. Breathing out like a clear lake, reflecting everything that is. Whatever manifests in me, in my thinking, my perception, I allow it to be, I smile with it, and I ground it with my practice of mindful breathing. In, still, out, calm like a lake. Breathing in, I recognize space inside of me. Breathing out, I taste freedom. Freedom from being carried away. Freedom from thoughts of the future, thoughts of the past. I allow myself to be in the present moment. I allow space to manifest inside of me. I accept myself. I have space to also have love and compassion for others. To have understanding. In, there is space inside of me. Breathing out, I feel free. Thank you so much, dear friends, for practicing with us.
0: Thank you, Brother Fapu. And um, just wondering whether you could suggest one small practice, because sometimes people don't know where to start. So, is there something you would suggest that people could maybe just experiment with this week?
1: So, dear friends, for this week, I invite you to allow yourself to have 10 deep in breath and out breath at least once a day. And you can break it up uh, Five breaths in the morning Five breaths in the evening Or uh, split it throughout the day But allow yourself to have At least 10 mindful in-breath And out-breath And if it helps You can even put your hand On your abdomen Each time you allow those breaths To be those deep and mindful breaths
0: Wonderful, thank you Dear listeners, thank you For being part of our journey And um, hope to Join us for another episode soon. The way out is in.